Welcome back, everybody. Today, Mike. Mike's talking about his Cocodona 250 run. So, Mike, I guess you don't need an introduction. We've already done that before. <laughs> yeah, everybody should know who I am at this point. <laughs> Since I'm on the podcast every week. <laughs> and I guess you have a new nickname now, though, right? Yeah, the Dark McKnight. <laughs> I, I don't know awesome. how I feel about it, but it's pretty funny, I guess. <laughs> I thought it was awesome when your kids had shirts made up for it. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was watching my kids and they made little shirts. And when we saw them Sunday, when we got back, they, they were like having blankets wrapped around them. They were kind of hiding it. And I was like, that's kind of weird. It's not that cold here. And then they threw them all off and they had dark McKnight shirts that my mom made <laughs> the back. I don't know if I showed the back on my Instagram story, but the back says, um, <clears throat> I think it's like 2023 Cocodona record breaker or something like that. Nice dude. That's so cool. Yeah. You did that. Yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> I, I guess we should uh, talk about why we're talking about this. Like, you just won Pokedona for the first time after three attempts, right? It's your third yeah, attempt. progressively got better each time. <laughs> yeah, live and learn, I guess, is the, the motto from this, right? <laughs> yeah, not to say that they didn't all have, they all had different issues, <laughs> but... But yeah, they all progressively got better as I went along. <laughs> yeah, maybe because uh, we were going to jump into your nutrition nutritional strategy for Cocodona because it's super interesting. But like maybe like briefly just kind of describe like one or two minutes, like what happened? Like, because I think like when I was following along, because I was with Jeff Brownie, who's doing 125 or the 125, I was just like, oh man, Mike's having another rough go at Cocodona. Like I just, I felt so hard for you. I was like, man, this sucks. Like third time he's getting beat up and then suddenly my Instagram and my phone was just blowing up with like messages about you. And like, I wasn't with you at all during the entire race, but everyone thought I was like, how's Mike doing? Mike's in first place. And I'm like, uh, I'm not with Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm curious to hear a little recap though, of like how that all went down and what happened. Cause it was kind of dramatic. Yeah. And before I give the recap, I do want to give a disclaimer that my brain fog is super heavy right now. <laughs> um, I've had a couple phone calls, like interviews and stuff, and it's been a real struggle, like talking and portraying my thoughts and everything. So if that carries over to this podcast, I apologize. <laughs> what did you say? You slept 12 hours in total last week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, between not really sleeping during the race. And then when I finished, I had like five people that I coached doing the race as well. And I wanted to watch them finish and you can't, you know, control what time they finished. And <clears throat> half of them finished in the middle of the night at like two or 3 a.m. So yeah, I between not sleeping during my race and then not sleeping after my race to watch my people finish. Like it was about 12 hours of sleep that I averaged last week. Total, not each day. <laughs> I wish it was each day. <laughs> I'm sure that'd be um, amazing, but there's no way you could run 250 miles in that time. While sleeping I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hopefully I do well, but, um, so yeah, so I mean, long story short, for some reason, this race brings out the stupidity of in me, <laughs> like, you know, three years ago, I was way over my electrolytes, not enough water, um, had to go to the hospital and get rhabdo. And then last year I was way over my electrolytes again, before the race even started, <clears throat> jumped or it messed my, uh, my stomach up. Like I was just puking a ton and I had to rally and I came back and got second place this year. <clears throat> I, um, I was on my way to the race, found out I left my bladder at my Airbnb so we had to flip a UE, haul back to the Airbnb, threw it in the car, started driving. I punched in the address into air, or to the uh, the Google Maps, and it told me I'd get there about four minutes before the race even started. And so already the race hasn't even started, and it's just like so hectic, and I'm so like frustrated and just 
out of it. It's obviously my own fault. I'm the one that forgot my bladder, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> got to the race, rushed over, grabbed my tracker, got to the start line with like a minute to go. And I had some watch issues before the race started, which kind of threw me for a loop too. And like, before I know it, the race was just starting and I just like hit my watch and left kind of a thing. Like I had no time to focus, no time to like, just be in the moment. It was just like such a hectic moment <laughs> leading into it. But, uh, through all that, because it was so hectic, I was an idiot and I forgot to grab my salt pills. <laughs> so for those who know the Cocodona course, like the first 50k, even the first 100k is just like it's the hardest 50k and 100k I've ever done. Um, well, I'd say the first 50k is in comparison to Speed Goat. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever have you done Speed Goat, Derek? Yeah, I've done the 25k a few times, so not the 50k, okay. but uh, it's yeah, for the steep. do you want to explain what Speed Goat is? <laughs> it's just steep, straight up and down. Like, I think in the 25k, there's like almost 6,000 feet of vert. It's all pretty yeah. technical and Carl kind of takes you off trail and like some gnarly spots. And I know with the 50k, it's like even more so like there's some like really just open the grassy rocky areas you have to go up and then run down like this rocky wash. And then you yeah. have like 10 to 12k of vert. Like it's just nonstop up and down in such a short little race. And it's all yeah. technical. <clears throat> yeah, I've done it twice. I believe my watch said 12k both times. So a okay. little bit over 12k and a 50k. So super gnarly. <clears throat> the first 50k of this race is 10,000 feet. Um, and it's super rocky, like this year, especially like from the wash washouts from all the rain, the, the Arizona got like, it was just super washed out, super rocky, um, speed goat, at least it's not bloody hot. <laughs> well, I mean, it does get hot at speed goat, but not as hot as this, <laughs> Definitely but, not the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the first 50 K is just super long and hot and I had hardly any salt on me, um, if in fact, if the aid station, so there's an aid station at mile eight, if they didn't give me some salt pills, I would have had no salt in that section. <clears throat> and the salt, they gave me like five or six salt pills. And I looked at the bottle before I left and each pill had 140 milligrams in it. So I essentially had like 800 milligrams of sodium for a 10 hour section. That's <laughs> and a hot section. <laughs> it's a very hot section. And I like, um, I tend to aim for three to 600 per hour. And so I essentially had a little bit over an hour's worth of salt for me. And I was out there for about 10 hours. <clears throat> so just right away, my stomach got jacked up. Um, I essentially spent the rest of the race trying to like slowly trickle in sodium because I didn't want to do it too much or else that would really upset my stomach if I did one big salt load. <clears throat> but um, I was also cramping from being low on my electrolytes too. So it was just this weird balance where I was like trying to get in enough electrolytes to to stop the cramping, but not overdoing it. So I don't mess my stomach up. So, you know, I, again, this is, I'm dragging this out. I'm sorry. It's, it's really hard to condense this, this um, adventure into a couple minutes, <laughs> but uh, basically the next little bit, the next section that <clears throat> was going into the night, I started having some like mental struggles. I'm sure it was a mix between being low on sleep, low on calories, low on electrolytes, like everything was out of whack. Um, I really came close to dropping at like mile 70 ish. Um, thankfully Pete Kostelnik and Jeff Garmeyer were at that aid station and they talked me out of quitting. They essentially were just like, Hey buddy, we feel like crap too. So just walk with us to the next aid station <clears throat> kind of a thing. And so, you know, I'm really grateful that they were there to talk me out of quitting. 
walked to the next aid station, got in my rooftop tent and me and my wife took a nap and like my crew knew that I was in a bad headspace. They knew that there was a good chance I was quitting. So everybody was just basically like get in the tent and sleep until you wake up kind of a thing. And so by the time I got in the tent, it was like between four and 5 a.m. And I slept till about 7.30 or eight. So I got a good two to three hours of sleep in that tent, which is the most I've ever slept at once in any of these races. <laughs> it's it's really easy to sleep when you think you're going to quit when you wake up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then I woke up and um, between the nap, um, my crew had a little bit of sushi for me in the pop-up tent. Um, I, I usually have sushi as a backup when my stomach goes south, just because, you know, rice is really easy on your stomach and it has some really light and lean protein on it as well. So I was able to like slowly eat five little, <clears throat> not rolls, like individual pieces um, of sushi. And so between the nap and just get a little bit of calories in me, like my brain felt better. I was able to focus a little bit more. My crew told me that it was eight miles to Whiskey Row and mostly downhill. So I was basically just like, you know what, I'm going to go to Whiskey Row, see how I feel, and then I'll make the call at Whiskey Row. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, at that point, I, I've heard so many different things. Like I've heard that I was in the 60s. I've heard that I got into the 70s. So at that point, I was between 65 and 75th place. Um, somebody, in fact, there's somebody that I coached named Aaron Fleischer, and I knew that he was shooting for a 90-hour finish. <clears throat> and my crew told me that he was... Um, about a mile out from that aid station at that point. And so it just kind of put things into perspective for me that I was in a position where, you know, I was with a group of people that were shooting for like the nineties. And so that was quite a bit way, that was quite a bit further back than I ever thought I would be at that point. <clears throat> so anyway, so I hearing got out, I took off to whiskey row. We passed about 10 people in that section, ended up feeling really good. And when I got to whiskey row, I sat down and my crew told me that um, <clears throat> if I pick up the pace, I could probably get top 10 for the finish. And for some reason or another, like I, I've never felt the drive that I felt in that moment, like the drive, the focus and the determination. But <clears throat> when my crew told me that, I just, I looked at them and said, nah, I, I'm still going to go for first place in the course record. <laughs> and Ben Light in particular, like he does this face, like, where he just kind of like brings his face back and like makes his eyes really wide, like, like, okay, buddy, like maybe let's focus on moving right now. And we'll talk about first place later. <laughs> and so I knew that everybody thought that that was like totally unrealistic, but for some reason, I just knew that it was still possible. And, um, I gave my wife, Sarah, my cell phone. <clears throat> I usually take my cell phone with me so I can like check the tracker or just like, you know, check text messages and use that to like inspire me to move a little bit harder, mm -hmm. but I didn't want any kind of distraction. So I gave her my cell phone. I was like, don't give me that phone for the rest of the race. I'm just going to focus on running and getting it done. And from whiskey row, I was about just a little bit over 50 K behind the race leaders at that point. Um, I was told that I came into that aid station nine hours after the leaders left. So at that point, I was over 32 miles behind, uh, over nine hours behind, came back and rallied and passed everybody, caught first place in the final marathon and ended up finishing in first and got the course record on the original route by about two hours. That's pretty mind-blowing, honestly. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was just so wild, like, I don't know, like, because I was, 
obviously wanted to see you do well and like i was awake the entire time like uh, pacing jeff and kareen and stuff like jen and i were driving around and right i was at walnut canyon that's what it's called right walnut canyon it's like before elden. the one before elden yeah yeah okay i always get these names confused for some reason but we were there and like we still had service in the car and we're like kind of following jeff and we're also like wonder how mike's doing and then we pulled up the tracker and i'm like holy crap like mike just won and i was like pretty tired i've been awake at like like i don't know almost 24 hours at that point and all of a sudden i was just like amped and ready to go i'm like oh sick like <laughs> mike just crushed it the biggest comeback ever and now jeff's gonna come in and we're gonna win this too and i was like this is such a cool event like I know I was really stoked. It really woke me up and just like fired me up. And I did not feel any tiredness after that at all. Like pacing the next morning was just awesome. Or that morning. Thank you. I'm glad that could help you. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I suffered a lot to get that to get that done. <laughs> oh man, you did. But it was cool to see. It was really inspiring for a lot of people. It was cool. So congrats again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well then it was really oh, go ahead. As I say, it was just really cool. Like, you know, like just having that many people in front of me just made it so much easier to stay awake and push. Like if, if I was in first place for that whole race, I would have had to take more naps. I don't think I would have pushed as hard. Like, you know, every time I started to get that like brain fog and like kind of started to drift off and like, you know, how you like kind of start running side to side, like sleep running kind of a thing. Yeah. <clears throat> every time I'd start to do that, my pacer would be like, Oh dude, Mike, there, there's another person right there. And that would wake me up, like shoot some adrenaline through my veins and we'd pick up speed and pass that person. And like, it was just perfect. It happened that way all the way up until the finish. But like I had blisters on my feet that I, I never get blisters, but like, <clears throat> I was just like, so focused on catching first that like the pain was very minimal. Like, like everything pain wise and fatigue wise was just very minimal. I was just like, so in the zone, like I've never been that focused in a race before and like you know i came into fort tuttle which is like mile 220 and everybody told me that killian he was the race leader not journey uh there's a there's another runner named killian korth and they told me he left like 45 minutes to an hour before i got there and like i flew in i sat on the tailgate of my truck i hurry and took my shoes off put on new shoes hurry and ate some meatballs uh, Chris Thornley at Squirrels Nut Butter is always at that aid station and he always has meatballs there. So I threw down some meatballs. I made that aid station like five minutes and then I just took off. And like, <clears throat> for me, I usually take at least 10 minutes at aid stations and two hundreds, but like the efficiency and, and everything was just like so much better for me just because I was in such a, a focus to catch first. So it just made me, it's really interesting in my mind, like the interesting thing is when I passed first, instantly things became so much harder. Like I started to get tired. Like I noticed that my pace slowed down. Like once I had first, it was so much harder to just like keep that drive and that momentum. And like, it was just really interesting for me to see that. And it makes me wonder just like for future races, like how important is it to like not get in first place as long as you can kind of a thing. Yeah. So you have those carrots in front of you to catch like all these yeah. people and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you think the finish it. line is a big enough carrot, but you know, for some reason people are bigger carrots for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of funny. At what point did you actually get into first place then? Was it um between Fort Tuttle and Eldon? Uh between Fort Tuttle and uh Walnut. Okay. So um, I passed Killian with about, I would say six to seven miles to go to Walnut and that was a 17 mile section. So it took me about eight or so miles leaving Fort Tuttle to catch him. 
and then finished it out to walnut. But um, oh, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say my pacer at the time, once we passed Killian, he pulled out the tracker and he was like, Hey dude, uh, Josh, I don't know his last name. He's the through hiker from great Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, he took, he ended up taking second place, but when we passed Killian, he pulled out the track and he was like, Hey dude, like, I don't want to worry you, but Josh is only about four miles behind you. So you might want to pick it up a little bit. And like, That's even just... that was not as big of a carrot for me as chasing first place. It was really weird. Like it was harder for me to stay awake. It was like, for some reason, just like being in that first position made it so much harder to stay awake and move. But, but yeah, I passed Killian with about eight miles or so to go to Walnut Canyon. <clears throat> nice, man. And I, know, I guess we've dragged or we've dragged this out a little bit, but like this is well, that was awesome just running through Flag, like out through Buff Park and knowing that you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was one moment as we were climbing up Eldon. So for those who don't know, you know, Eldon, it's super steep and it has like big rocks. So you're not just climbing a nice buffed out trail. You're like stretching your hip flexors, like stepping up three to four feet, uh, maybe not four feet, but about three feet tall rocks. Um, so you're climbing straight up, but before you get to Eldon, there's like a five mile approach through this like windy trail system. I'm guessing it's like a mountain bike trail. <clears throat> But like you can see Mount Eldon for a good five miles before you actually start climbing it. And you're just like right at the base of it. <clears throat> and so as we got near the top of Eldon, Ben Light looked back and he was just like, hey, buddy, like I see two headlights down there. <laughs> and we didn't know if they were at the start of the climb. We didn't know if they were in that five mile windy section. And so <clears throat> that woke me up. I started getting pretty paranoid and panicked. Uh, but when we got to the next aid station, Peter Mortimer, he was up there at the top of El- Eldon running that aid station. And <clears throat> he told me that they were just barely getting to the base of the climb. And so once he told me that, I was just like, okay, okay, I got this. <laughs> like, because that climb takes at least an hour. It's two miles straight up. You're doing about 30 minute miles if you're moving. <clears throat> and so, yeah, coasted down, got to Buffalo Park. By the time I got to the streets, it was a pretty surreal moment to like finally get first place, get course record at this race. And especially just with how crappy of a first day that I had, um, you know, I obviously had a lot of moments in that first day where I thought I was going to have to come back for a fourth year. (laughs) So it was, it was pretty emotional to actually finally get that first place finish with that kind of a crappy of a start. (laughs) Did I imagine like, I don't personally, I don't think I would ever really like, I don't really get emotional about running, but it's like, if I had come out three times and like had that like major setback at the start of this third time, like I probably would have teared up a little bit crossing that finish line. Like that's a, yeah. that's a big deal. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> no shame, man. No shame. Yeah. <laughs> well, then let's, uh, let's talk about the nutritional strategy for it. Cause obviously like, I think people know like for the most part what you eat, but like, like let's kind of go through like the week of the race. Cause you were down in Phoenix for what? 10 days or so prior just to kind of heat train and relax and stuff. Yeah. I got there Monday night, uh, two weeks before the race started. So I was there a good 14 days before the race started. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I did my typical like keto reset, which I typically do about two weeks before a race. So, um, a lot of red meat, a lot of eggs, <clears throat> a lot of raw milk, um, with a little bit of berries, like still utilizing some carbs, because the thing that I was doing is I was there heat training. And so like the week I got there, even though I was kind of doing lighter mileage, <clears throat> you know, I was stressing my body out quite a bit because I went from 40 degree weather to 90 degree weather, <laughs> like just like that. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So 
even though I was kind of tapering, like, you know, a lot of the data on heat training shows that like, especially those first few days, like you're basically doubling the amount of stress that you're putting on your body. So even though it was supposed to be a taper, it was a little bit higher mileage or <clears throat> higher effort and volume when you factor in the heat. And so I was utilizing berries and honey that week still, but I was just like lowering my carb count and not doing, you know, typically I'll do like five servings of fruit a day. I was probably doing more like one to two servings of fruit <clears throat> a day during that week. And then, um, about Wednesday evening, maybe Thursday morning, the next week. So three or four days before the race started, <clears throat> that's when I started upping my carbs again to kind of top off my glycogen. And I also uh, kind of did Zach Bitter's approach. I don't know if, for the listeners, I don't know if you've listened to the episode that we did with Michelle Hearn, but we kind of talked to her a little bit about training your gut and finding the balance of like eating a whole foods animal-based diet, but also, you know, giving yourself like a little bit of poison just to make sure that your stomach's used to it on race day. <clears throat> and Michelle mentioned that Zach tends to do a little bit more processed foods the week leading into his races. And so Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I started doing a little bit more processed snacks. Like every day I had nachos with those Siete tortilla chips. Um, I got some Siete potato chips. So I was doing a bunch of chips leading into it. Um, and I've talked about them before, but I use Siete just because they cook their, their chips in avocado oil instead of seed oils. And it's just really clean ingredients. Like they use dates, they use just cayenne powder and just like super simple ingredients. <clears throat> So more chips up my fruit intake, um, did more of an animal based diet, but also including some of those processed snacks. Um, the night before my race, I tend to like, make sure I keep the protein a little bit more on the lean side. And so like Saturday night, I had a big steak dinner, <clears throat> um, a lot of red meat Sunday night, the night before the race, I made sure to have like chicken is what I had, um, I got some primal kitchen barbecue sauce and had barbecue chicken for dinner that night um, with a little bit more of those siete potato chips and some fruit, but <clears throat> it's essentially what I did leading into it. So like strict keto reset and then four or so days before the race, upping my carbs to between 150 and 200 grams and getting that all in the form of fruits and those uh, potato slash tortilla chips. Did you do the keto reset to kind of reactivate the fat burning just to make sure you're on top of that? Is that what... Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. And then thinking of um, like the night before the event, like why did you go like with a lean chicken versus say like a ribeye or something like that? Just easier to digest. Like <clears throat> I didn't want to start like, you know, <laughs> a big fat ribeye or a prime rib is obviously going to be a little bit harder to digest than just some lean chicken breast. Mm -hmm. um, so I've just found that like, you know, doing a really big calorically dense meal two nights before in the form of some form of red meat, like a ribeye or a prime rib. And then making sure to keep like still upping the protein and the calories the day before the race, but keeping it more on the lean sign just makes it a little bit easier on the stomach to digest going into the race, especially for this race, because like I had to get up at 3.30 a.m. The race started at 5 a.m. It's not like it was like a 9 a.m. start, like some of Candace Birch races or, you know, last year because of the fire, they moved the start to 10 a.m. And so like, you know, in that case, I might've done like a ribeye the night before or something, but <clears throat> where I ate dinner at 7 PM and I was getting up like eight or so hours after that. Like I, I definitely wanted to keep it on the leaner side. Yeah, I know that totally makes sense. 
So then like morning of the race, I know some people, cause it will be say like, oh, well, it's a 200 plus mile race. So I'm just going to fast this morning. Or some people do the opposite and eat like a massive breakfast. Like what was your breakfast that morning? Cause you, you mentioned that you guys were like in a massive hurry that morning because of all the issues that happened. So like, did you even eat breakfast? I mean, we were probably in a massive hurry because I was taking my time with breakfast <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I had a little bit of liver for breakfast and then I also made a, um, they had a blender at the Airbnb that we were at. So I made like a, a berry and honey and raw milk smoothie. Um, I added protein powder and collagen powder. So, you know, a little bit of protein from the liver, a little bit of nutrients from the liver, and then obviously quite a bit of carbs from the smoothie. And then also like, I love getting collagen and protein before a race just to like, you know, help those joints. <laughs> uh, stay as strong as possible over the next 250 miles. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, a long time ago, I did a show with Shannon from, uh, from gnarly about collagen. Uh, and she brought that up that like the, one of the best times to consume collagen is actually prior to a run or a workout. Cause it kind of like, for whatever reason, it synthesizes better in your body. So, but then it makes oh, sense cool. even more so when you're doing like a multi-day event, like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's really smart. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Something that I was thinking about then um, is like caffeine usage. Did you do any caffeine at the start or do you delay that for a while? I usually delay it for the night. Um, and, and to be honest, just because that first night was so crappy, I didn't have any caffeine until the second night. Um, usually I push it off till the nighttime, but by the time the nighttime came, I was just like so tired and out of it and ready to quit. Honestly, maybe some caffeine would have helped <laughs> now that I'm like saying this back to you. <laughs> But, um, I just was not in a good headspace. So I wasn't thinking, um, oh, I should add too going back to the race, that aid station where I almost dropped, I ended up doing an extra five total miles there. Um, it was a short out and back and it was night and I blew past the aid station and the aid station was at the top of a hill. And I ran two and a half miles downhill past that aid station. Oh. And I was talking to Sarah, like I was trying to like motivate myself. And like, I was expecting the aid station 10 to 15 minutes ago, kind of a thing. And so I just kind of stopped. And I was like, Sarah, do you like, are you watching the tracker? She's like, no. I'm like, can you pull it up and tell me like if I passed the aid station or not? And she pulled it out and she's like, uh, yeah, you're like two and a half miles past it. <laughs> and I don't swear that often, but like when she said that, I was just like, ah, like just threw my phone down. I was just like so pissed off. Everything was already so low for me at that moment. And I was just like, I have to go two and a half miles back up this steep hill that I just ran down. Like that five miles was probably an extra hour and a half, like that I had to to do just from anyway. <laughs> um yeah, some caffeine would have helped me that first night, probably. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, I don't know, like, obviously, like, we can just speculate, but maybe it did help, because if you were super low on salt and water, that first 50k, because caffeine's a diuretic, and it's the thermogenic, right. so it warms you up, maybe that would have been worse for you. Maybe you just, like, overheated even more and lost more sodium and, and water. I, I don't know, I'm speculating, like, yeah, but I mean, I'd like to think the universe was trying to help me for this race, and, like, because, like, so there's two sections in this course I've always done at night. Mm -hmm. And these two sections are really hard. <clears throat> like one of them is it's called like the um the granite dells. Does that oh, yeah, sound familiar? Yeah, the dells by the lake up there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Prescott. Yeah. Yeah. It's this um really cool rocky slick rock type area, but like the markings are not great. You have to follow these white spray painted dots on the rocks, and it's just it's really hard to navigate at night, and that's how I've always done it. 
and then, then there's there's this other section from Iron King to Fane Ranch where you're just going through like these cow fields. Like there's no trail. You're just following the flags through this field of weeds. The course on your watch, like the GPX, never matches up with the flags. And so you're trying to like follow the course, but you're also like looking for the flags and like you just end up zigzagging through this field because you can't see anything. But like this time, because I got so far behind, I did both of those sections in the daylight and like I blew through them. Like <clears throat> I could see the white dots. I could see the flags. When I got to that cow field, I didn't have to like try to navigate. I, just, I could just look up and just see the flags leading me to where I needed to go. So I keep trying to tell myself that even though I was just like so pissed off and everything just hurt that first day, like that was just the universe trying to like help me get this thing done because I honestly made up a lot of time just by able to do certain sections in the daylight. And then too, that caffeine thing that you just said, yeah, maybe if I was thinking coherently and did take caffeine, maybe that would have made things worse. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I bet that saved a lot of mental energy though, too. Like doing that yeah. section, not being frustrated for hours and hours in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I mean, if I ever go back to Coca-Dona, I'm like, I wonder if there's some strategy in just delaying my race so I can hit those sections in the daylight. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like strategically pace yourself so that we can not waste time in the dark yeah. on the sections. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> interesting. And like I hit them at like noon or something. So it's like, you know, I could even like speed up a little bit. And like if I could just hit that when the sun comes up at 6.30 a.m., like I'd still be five hours ahead of where I was this year but I'd still be able to do those sections in the daylight. <laughs> yeah. And not in the heat too. Cause it, kind of, it does kind of trap a little bit of heat like in those yeah. rocks. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Like I find it interesting. Like somebody will start like, I've seen this at Candace's races and obviously it could be done and people will be slamming like monsters and stuff before you start this long race. And it's, it's, it makes sense for like the first like 10 miles maybe because yeah, you can go out hard or whatever, but then you're going to burn yourself out really fast and you don't understand your RPE. And then you get cooked in the sun because like it gets hot out there. Like those exposed yeah. sections get really warm and you just, I don't know, you're cooking, you're pre-cooking yourself, I guess is what you're doing in my opinion. Yeah. And then by the time that the second night comes when the brain fog and the fatigue starts to really hit you, like, you know, there's a good chance that that caffeine is not going to help you anymore just because you've been pumping it so much already up to that point. Yeah. And if you go <laughs> so hard that you're just exhausted, like you're, like you're saying, like you you can't sleep, but you're not really awake. And then your body's just overworked and it's like, it's terrible for you. Plus it's like we just said earlier, like makes you pee more. It's a diuretic and thermogenic. Yeah. So it's just a combo of bad things. I think caffeine management is probably a huge issue. And I've, I've never done that distance, but I imagine it's uh, something to think about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So I did once that second night came, I started using it every night. Like I do about, you know, two doses of about a hundred milligrams. Um, just because that's the other thing with caffeine, like you see these people pounding 200 milligrams at once and it's like, that's too much for your body in that moment. Like, it's just kind of a waste. And from what I've seen around hundred milligrams is like a good dosage for me in the moment. And I just tried to do that two to three times throughout the night. Yeah. So kind of trickling it in versus taking like a massive hit of it at one time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so then I guess we got to backtrack a little bit. So you started the race, like, what was your actual, like race food nutrition you mentioned you had that sushi up in prescott but like what else did you do because like everyone has different approaches and we've mentioned this multiple times of like using gels or like more like actual real food but like in such a long race like what did you do for like that first day even though you did have kind of a poor first 70 miles or whatever <laughs> i mean to be honest like the whole race i would say 
if I was to throw some arbitrary number out there that 90% of my calories came from raw milk, <laughs> if I'm being honest, <laughs> um, like I, I'm sure it was from the, like the jacked up, like how I jacked my body up from like messing up my electrolytes, but like any real food, I only puked once during this whole race, but like every time I tried eating some real food, I had this gag reflex. Like I'd put it on my, in my mouth, I'd chew it. And like, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before, but like, as you're chewing food and getting ready to swallow it, at least for me, I'm just like, oh yeah, like this is going to be really hard to swallow. Like I can tell my stomach doesn't want me to swallow this right now. <laughs> and so like I would chew it, I'd chew really fast and then just like hurry and try and swallow it. And like when I would do that, I'd like go like, Ugh! It start gagging, but like I got it halfway down by the time I started gagging and I was able to swallow it. So like chewing food and eating food was just really hard because I had to like chew it so fast and swallow it so fast because I had a gag reflex every single time. And so I would eat minimal calories between aid stations. I'd come into the aid station and my crew always had a bunch of food for me. Like they got a gluten-free pizza for me, which I, I was able to eat some of that. Um, I was able to eat some of that gluten-free pizza, but like for the most part, they would always just have this like smorgasbord of food laid out in front of me. And I would like kind of look at it all and I'd just be like, um, hand me the milk, please. <laughs> and then they'd give me the milk and like, I was buying those, they're half gallons, right? At Sprouts. Yeah. 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 Thank goodness for Sprouts. <laughs> That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they'd hand me one of those half gallons of milk and I would drink at least half of it just like in the, a minute, like. I would just stand there, open it. I'd guzzle at least half of it, put it down and then take off. Like seriously, 90% of my calories were from raw milk. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Like it, it's good. It's like, it has some carbs and it has protein in it. It tastes, just tastes good. It's refreshing. Plus all these like micronutrients that are in it as well. So yeah, it's loaded with calcium for some reason. Like I can drink this stuff like water, like, like the week I got to Arizona, I don't know. I either got some kind of food poisoning or just like the heat zapped me so much, but I had like a puking spell the week when I got to Arizona. Um, I think I, you remember that Derek, because yeah, you made some comment to me, but I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I remember laughing about it, but also feeling bad for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, I never pu like, like usually when I puke, like I can feel it coming and like my stomach won't do it. And I end up making myself puke to get it out. Like this is the first time. And I can't even remember how long where it was like, I woke up from sleeping and I was like, oh, wow, my stomach feels weird. And I was just like, oh man, I have five seconds to get to the toilet. Kind of like threw myself out of bed, sprinted to the toilet, barely made it to the toilet and just violently puked. And that's how it was like all day. Like I puked, I felt better, thought it was done, started working or something. And all of a sudden I was like, oh no, I have five seconds to get to the toilet again. <laughs> But like that day, like that whole day, I couldn't eat, but I could still drink raw milk. So no matter like how sour my stomach is, like for some reason, I can drink that stuff like water, which I'm I'm very grateful for because I wouldn't have had a lot of calories at this race if it wasn't for that milk. <laughs> That's so funny. I have a friend who he always talks, he's like, he always says that like real men eat their calories. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> when it comes to running and stuff, it's pretty funny. Yeah, not but, in a race. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that's crazy though, just like straight or for the most part raw milk. Like what else did you use though? Or what were you planning to use maybe? Cause like, I know we talked about this before of like using like almond flour stuff or gels and things. Like, did you plan to use any of that or was it just. Yeah. yeah like I had nut butters. I had 
I had gels, I had jerky, I had siete chips, I had bone broth, um, a lot of fruit, smoothies, like my typical stuff. Um, but yeah, I could hardly do any of it. <laughs> like I, I did have gels, like when I was out between aid station, the only food that I ate between aid stations were gels. Um, it was the easiest thing on my stomach and like even gels, I had a gag reflex, like it was less of a gag reflex, but like every time I would eat a gel, I would like, like I had to like microdose the gel. Like I'd have to stop and walk and like put a little bit in, swallow it. I would sometimes have to drink water and swish it around and swallow it. Like that was the only thing I could do to not give myself a gag reflex, um, versus like a few times I just like open it and tried pushing it all in. And like, I was gagging the whole time as I was trying to swallow it. So the only way I could get real food in between aid stations, which was mostly gels was just like trickling it in and then drinking some water to swish it around and, and essentially drink my gel. <laughs> That's interesting. What kind of gels were you using? Um, I had spring energy. Yeah. Um, but I did have some Martins, like I am sponsored by spring, but like, you know, there are some moments where just like my stomach is so far gone that like, I don't know who's ever used Martin before, but it's, it's basically a jello shot and it's unflavored. And so I like having those as a reserve, just in case my stomach is really, really screwed up because, you know, it slides right down your throat because it's basically jello and the lack of flavor makes it really hard to like get that palate fatigue that you end up getting in these races. And so those are kind of like my, my emergency gels for when the spring energy starts to upset my stomach. Yeah. I think that kind of goes back to what we talked about before. Like sometimes in the moment, like you kind of make consolations with things where it's like, yeah, obviously like real food is ideal or whatever, but like if that's actively making you nauseous or not feel good, it's like, well, maybe I'll have this kind of like non-ideal like sugar product, but if it makes you feel good and you can recover and rebound, like it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I will say too, though, and I'm guessing this is because of the raw milk, like, you know, I, I went to the bathroom about 12 to 15 times in this race. Uh-huh. <laughs> it felt like every other aid station, like it got to the point where my pacers were just like, again, like it happened so much, but it wasn't like, you know, if this is a ultra running ish podcast. We could talk about poop, right? <laughs> like <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, diarrhea or anything. Like it was all like good, solid stuff. But like, I just had to go to the bathroom so much, like usually two or three times, maybe I'm done in a 200, but this legit, like was 12 to 15 times in this race. <laughs> that's, that's pretty insane, but it's like every 20 miles, basically the average. I know that's funny. <laughs> it's better than puking. Like at least I wasn't puking every 12 to 15 times. <laughs> Oh, dude. Yeah. That would have sucked. Yeah. Um, so you, you really then just a lot of raw milk and some gels then like, did you do any of your bone yeah. broth or anything? And like, what was your sodium intake? Like once you like, cause you had to kind of recover from your deficit. So what did you do for that? I mean, just salt pills. I just stuck yeah. with the salt pills and I do think I ended up catching up because I noticed that my body started swelling, um, about Fort Tuthill. Mm-hmm. Um, which was mile 220. So once I hit mile 220 and started noticing my hands started to get a little bit puffy, I backed off on the salt. salt. Um, but yeah, I think I ended up catching up just by taking salt pills. <clears throat> um, I did have almond flour tortillas with me, like those Siete tortillas. Um, I tried eating them, but it just there's just that gag reflex, man. Like I don't know. So there was a live feed at Walnut Canyon. This is the one time I puked and they caught it on the live feed. <laughs> but like um, 
I, I had, oh, some of the other food that I had, I had some raw cheese and I had some uh, boar's head uh, ham. And oh, I like getting, good. yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I try not to do processed meats, but when I do, I go with boar's head just because they don't add a bunch of the junk that all those other brands use. Um, but I got to Walnut and I was, I remember last year, <clears throat> Walnut Canyon made me these cool little, basically got deli ham, put cheese in it and rolled it up and then grilled it on the grill and made me this like ham and cheese melt kind of a thing. <laughs> and so when I got to Walnut Canyon, I was like, okay, I want that again. Like that was awesome. Let's do it. And so they made it for me and I ate it and I got up to go and like, they caught this all on camera, but like I walked out of the aid station and I was like, I think I'm going to puke guys. And so like my crew ran, grabbed the garbage can and brought it over to me. And I bent over and just started puking it all out. Like it tasted so good, but my body pushed it right back out. <laughs> That's so funny, but also sad. because it's like, you were expecting like this amazing experience and you kind of had <laughs> half of it. And then it was all super negative right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny on the live stream, they're like talking about me and then somebody cuts one of the commentators off and it's like, is he is he puking? So yeah, I think he's puking. And so they just kind of got silent while I was puking. And then I just like stood up and just kind of like looked around and put my vest on and took off. Like, like I was just so done in that moment. I was like, all right, if I can't eat, I can't eat. Let's just go get to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I mean, I don't want to beat a drum that I've beaten so many times, but like, that's why I love eating the way that we eat because- like, yeah, ideally I had some calories in me at that aid station, but you know, for me, I was just like, I knew my body enough to know that even though it wasn't ideal, like I still had the energy and, you know, I was fat adapted. So, you know, it wasn't like a complete necessity to keep those calories in for me to have the right amount of energy to get myself to the finish line. Yeah. And thinking about that, you've done that a couple of times in the past year or so. Cause like on the AZT, you had that section where you had like what AGL for what 50 K about. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. my crew weren't able to get to me where they thought they would. And like, it was supposed to be a seven mile section, but it ended up being just over a 50 K <laughs> and I had two gels on me. <laughs> yeah. That's I, not ideal, but like, you know, it worked out still. <laughs> yeah. So I think that really validates like the like being able to be dual dual fueled like both fat and carbs and then like if something goes wrong in a race whether you're throwing up from calories or like for whatever reason you get lost or the aid station is not where you want it to be like you can still mm -hmm. get through it and not be like a total disaster where you're like you're bonking because you don't have 100 carbs an hour for two hours or something it's interesting yeah and i do think it's important to uh, we've talked about this before but like just because you have carbs and sugar it's not like especially in the middle of a 250 mile race it's not gonna hinder your body's ability to be able to burn fat for fuel. And yeah. I I'll share a quick story with that. Like <clears throat> when we left whiskey row, here's, here is another food that I had. Um, when you leave whiskey row, you run on the streets of Prescott for like five miles. Um, and me and my pacer, this is the one of the first places I had a pacer, but we passed a gas station and it was just like, the sun was up. It was just starting to get a little bit hot. I looked over there and I was like, oh my gosh, I want a Slurpee right now, <laughs> which is something that I had to use at Cocodona last year. <laughs> but it's like, so we ran into the Maverick gas station. I bought myself a Slurpee. We got out and like, I pounded that thing in like two minutes. And it's like, I had like, you know, that was just straight sugar. It's liquid sugar with a little bit of ice. Um, so like, even though I had that, like I was still able to like, you know, fast forwarding to Walnut Canyon, I left that aid station without really eating anything and I was just fine. So, 
you know, I do think it's important for people to know that like you can have some sugar, even if it's in a race, especially if it's in a race and it's not going to jeopardize your ability to burn fat for fuel. Yeah, it's a really good point. And like, I think from just thinking back when we wore CGMs from levels, just like how, like even on a run consuming like a gel or a drink mix or something like your blood glucose doesn't really spike that much. So like, yeah, you are probably burning that sugar, but it's not like it's going to ruin your fat adaptation by any means. Right. Exactly. Interesting. So when you're on that kind of like windy section, right below Eldon, you just kind of do those, like, it's just pretty flat and rolling or whatever for a while. Um, you knew you're getting close and you knew there was an aid station up on top of Eldon, but it is a pretty big climb. Did you take a gel or anything before? Cause I feel like uh, at least I like to take a, some sort of gel or something before I do a big climb like that. Did you do that? Or did you just kind of crush it and move on? Yeah, I took a gel. <clears throat> I gagged a gel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Cause that climb is, it's pretty steep. And like, it's funny. Cause like, if you're just fresh, like you're three miles into a run, like, yeah, you could run most of it, except for like those really, really like box jumpy of rock sections. But like yeah. when you're 200 and what, 35 miles into a race or something, I imagine that climb is pretty brutal. <sighs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's just so steep and super windy. This year it was a little bit colder up in Flagstaff. So it was really cold. It was dark. Like, yeah, it's a hard climb. I was shredding that climb for the whole race, basically. Yeah, and I guess you did it in the middle of the night too, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was roughly midnight or so. Yeah, it's pretty late and cold. When when Jeff and I went up there, not to like deviate from your story, but like it was just super, the sun was coming up and it was like freaking windy and it was cold. We got to the top and we're just like, holy crap, like we get blown off the mountain. Then you have those ice snow mounds that you have to try to climb over too. Yeah, I almost fell multiple times and Jeff was just kind of getting through them. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. I'm a desert kid for sure. <laughs> like I can't walk on ice. Yeah. No, yeah, but, it, was, it was It was. a hard section for sure. Yeah. To, for me, I was always looking forward to Pete's Meats up at, Elden, at the Elden Aid stage. Oh, yeah. Did you have some brisket yeah. and stuff when you were up there? I took a bite or two and then my stomach started to hurt, so I stopped. Oh, man, that's but, sad. Uh, Ben, Ben Light, he was pacing me in that section. He had, um, like he had them wrap it up in some tin foil, and he carried some down off the mountain, and we had it for breakfast the next day. Oh, heck <laughs> it was yeah. really good. It was really good. <laughs> That's a great pacer right there. They're thinking ahead. I know. <laughs> the funny thing too, this is a completely side tangent, but two of my pacers lost their phones while they were pacing me. And That's even possible. They're wearing um, so. One of them was wearing, I'm not going to say the name of the vest because I don't want to like deter cells. Well, maybe I need to be honest. Like, I mean, it, one of my pieces- It wasn't was, a Solomon vest is what you're saying? It wasn't a Solomon vest. I <laughs> know, I probably, it wasn't, it, it was the Bronco vest. Okay. Um, I guess like one of the pockets doesn't have a zipper or something. And one of my pacers had that vest on for the first time and um, there was one section where we like had to climb over a bunch of down trees and while he was climbing over a tree, like the cell phone just slipped out of his pocket. Um, but Josh, the through hiker who took second place, he found the cell phone. This is like right when we passed Josh and, uh, Eliza, mm-hmm. um, Coop was with Eliza, but we, we passed them. It was really funny when I passed Coop, like a year ago, it was basically the same section where I passed Coop a year ago and where he was pacing Eliza and saw me and you know, both years, like I kind of had like a resurrection kind of a thing. And so when Coop saw me, he just kind of laughed and like gave me a fist bump and he was like, dude, we got to stop meeting this way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, it was like shortly after that, a pacer lost a cell phone, climbing over a tree. 
we were getting ready to go back to get it. And then Josh came running around like waving, he was holding it. <clears throat> so Josh found it. And then Ben light from Walnut to Eldon was pacing me and he was wearing a vest and he just, he kept the zipper unzipped because he kept pulling his cell phone out to navigate because the, the markings were kind of bad in that section. And we went over a fence and same thing. He bent over, it fell out of his pocket and fell on the trail. And that time Josh found the cell phone for him too. <laughs> like when we saw Josh at the finish line, he was like, when I saw another cell phone, I was just like in such amazement. Then I picked it up and turned it on. And it like the screensaver is Ben and Brittany together. <laughs> and Josh is just like, oh, I know this mother effer. <laughs> what, what's this McKnight doing? Is he trying to sabotage me or something? Like. For two of my pacers to lose their phones and for him to find them both times, like the odds of that are just like crazy, like, holy cow. <laughs> That's pretty funny, honestly, like two times in a row, like just right after one after another. Um, I, I guess in defense of the vest, though, like even my UD vest, it has like multiple direction vest on one side. It has uh, a zipper pocket that looks identical to the one on the other side without a zipper pocket. I never put anything in the non-zipper pocket because I'm afraid of that. I'm like, I'm going to zipper everything. And I hate these like kind of open pockets because you're like, well, it might fall out. Like <laughs> I, I wore a, a my pack and a belt and I wore my belt specifically so I could put my phone in the front because it zips up and it's like easy access. Uh-huh. Right. I was only running 21 miles, not whatever. But like, like, I don't know. That terrifies me to think about losing my phone or keys or something in these pockets that don't seal up at all. I know. I mean, plug for Solomon. That's why I love Solomon. Like. They have two pockets in the front of their bottles and they're both zipper pockets and one pocket I had my cell phone and one pocket I had like my headphones and my headlamp and my battery like super pockets for the win. <laughs> yeah, personally I'm like I'll take the I'll carry the few extra grams when I'm running to know that all my stuff is secure and not just like falling out on the trail because if you lose a gel that sucks or you lose your salt yeah. or something you're just like oh so annoying you got to make do in the moment versus just having it there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I guess then like obviously like you ran down Eldon, you won. Um is that pretty rad to experience that like third time? I guess not for the third yeah. time, but after three tries. Yeah, dude. Felt super good. Um I mean I still don't feel like I've been able to like really process it, like just because I've been so busy and tired. Like, you know, I finished, I went home, I slept a little bit, then I watched um, you know, like a few hours later I saw my friend, I saw two other people that I coach finish. And so like, you know, it was just like finish, sleep a little, watch people finish. We watched Jeff Browning finish, <clears throat> grabbed some lunch, went home and then like went and saw other people finish and then drove home to Utah, saw my kids for the first time. And then just like all day yesterday was busy with coaching just because I've been gone for a full week. And, you know, honestly, this whole week is very busy. So I haven't really had a lot of time to process it, but I do know that like for a good 10 to 15 minutes um, after I crossed the finish line, it was a pretty overwhelming moment for me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So it's like you're that comeback and then just doing 250 miles in general, not sleeping for that long. And then like having Sarah there and everything like that's, that's a pretty magical experience. Even if it is like what early, early morning in downtown Flagstaff, <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could see why you'd be a little emotional about that. Really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And, um, in terms of recovery, I, I don't know if you had any questions about the finish or anything, but, um, I do, I do want to touch on recovery a little bit for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about recovery. Let's talk about like right when you finish. Cause I think like everyone's like, I got to sign a protein drink or people do the opposite and they just go drink, drink beer and eat pizza. But like, 
your recovery seems like you've it's been going well. Like you were at the gym the other day, or maybe it was yesterday. Like yeah, yesterday. When did, when did you start your recovery processes? Right there at the finish line, and and how's that yeah. been for you? Yeah, so I haven't had any cheat meals or anything. Like, I mean, the most like cheating quote unquote that I've done is like I've had some siete chips, like, and that's essentially it. I've gone right back to an animal based diet, lots of meat, lots of fruit. Um, you know, I went home that morning and got up and we went to get some breakfast and I got steak and eggs and cottage cheese and fruit. So that was my first big meal after finishing the race. Um, <clears throat> for lunch that day, we went to get some barbecue and I had some ribs, some dry rub ribs. So I wasn't getting any of the sugary sauce. Um, got some coleslaw there. This it was really cool. It was a cool restaurant because I usually don't do col I love coleslaw, but I usually never get it because it's usually loaded with mayo, which has a bunch of seed oils. But this particular restaurant, like, it's so funny, like going to restaurants and asking about ingredients and foods, like the people that work there, honestly, have no idea what's going into their foods. And like, when you ask them, like, does this have any oils in it? Like, they're so confused on how to answer. Like, no one knows what seed oils is. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, their, their coleslaw had like a vinegar and an olive oil in it. And that's what the sauce was. So oh, it was cool. more of a vinegar based thing instead of a mayo based, but so I had a bunch of ribs, some um, coleslaw. Um, the next day, same thing for breakfast. We got some like eggs and steak. Um, went and got a three patty burger for lunch with no buns. Um, just some guac and some, and that's it, guac and hot sauce. That night for dinner, um, <laughs> this is actually a really funny story. Um, uh, there's somebody that I coach or used to coach that ended up dropping Coco. And I could tell that he was like really beat up from it. He dropped last year too. And so I was just like, Hey dude, let's go get some dinner and talk about it. And so we, he wanted to go to Chili's that night, or I guess Ben wanted to go to Chili's. Ben loves Chili's. <laughs> and so I love Chili's queso because they don't add gluten to it. And it's actually pretty rare to find a restaurant that cooks queso that doesn't have gluten in it. And so I told Sarah, I was like, I need you to bring your purse and I'm going to sneak in some Siete tortilla chips and I'm going to order just the queso and I'm going to have some chips and queso for dinner tonight. <laughs> and so like, you should have seen the waitress. I was like, can I order some queso? And she's like, yeah, chips and queso. And I was like, no, I, I just want the queso. And she like, kind of like looked at me. She's like, yeah, I think I can do that for you. <laughs> so she brought out this big thing of queso. And every time she'd walk away, I'd sneak a chip out, take a dip, take a bite. And so like, she legit thinks that like, I just spoon fed myself some queso for dinner. <laughs> You know, drinking a bowl of queso with chilies like yeah living, living the american dream right there <laughs> yeah That's yeah so, so for funny. dinner that night i got some more dry rub ribs and then had chips and queso um next day an egg a six egg omelet with a bunch of bacon in it i try not to do processed meats but you know when you're on the road you have to give and take a little bit <clears throat> so i had like a six egg omelet for breakfast and then for dinner that night was a 16 ounce ribeye with some more cottage cheese and some more fruit. So, I mean, I've been pretty strict. Um, and to be honest, when I finished Cocodona, I puffed up a lot. I'm sure a lot of it was from my electrolyte issues, but like my leg, I had no definition to my calves. Like my leg was just one big blob of leg, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like I had to wear tights and sweats at the finish line. I was so self-conscious of how fat my legs were. <laughs> But like, I mean, today, like, you know, I'm down 10 pounds. Like I've lost 10 pounds since starting Cocodona. Like, you know, I look pretty lean, like all the puffiness is gone. 
Sunday, I did like a light dumbbell workout. Um, that was my first workout since finishing Cocodona. So that was like two and a half, three days later. Yesterday, I went to the gym for an hour and a half. This morning, I woke up and did like a pretty hard 45-minute workout with dumbbells, push-ups, jump rope, stuff like that. I'm going to go for a hike after this. So like, I mean, honestly, recovery is going really well. I'm like having to force myself to not run. Like I told myself I'm not going to run till Friday and I'm having a hard time sticking to it because I feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah. How does that compare then to like, say, Bigfoot or Tahoe the first couple of times you did those? Because I know we've spoken about it between you and me, like your recovery and like how you kind of strayed off of how you normally eat versus now where it's like you, you were pretty straight finishing Cocodona and your recovery is just like spot on. Yeah. I mean, that first year I did the triple crown of two hundreds, like, you know, at this point, you know, if I finished Bigfoot a few days ago, like I'd be in bed all day, basically like, you know, there was no running between the races between each triple crown race. Um, so there's no way I like, had to talk myself out of running back then just because I couldn't, I was just so inflamed and so tired and so sore. Like my joints were so achy, but like, I mean, like I jumped rope for 10 minutes this morning, like some dumbbell squats with shoulder press, like a bunch of pushups, a bunch of ab work. Like, you know, my legs are loose. Um, I don't feel terribly sore and just like my joints feel great. Like, you know, there's somebody that I coached that finished Cocodona and she doesn't, it's actually Andrea Moore. We had her on the podcast a little bit yeah. ago. Um, her partner texted me after the, after she finished and was like, Hey, Andrea wants to know, like, what she needs to do to like recover as fast as possible. And I was just like, I know the temptation is real to reward yourself after these things and like get a pizza, have a bunch of ice cream, go to town on beer. Like if she wants to do that, that's totally up to her. And I won't judge her for it. Like do what she wants, but like, let her know that that's going to come with a cost. Like recovery is going to go a lot slower. <clears throat> and so, you know, I don't, I seriously have no issues with people who, when they finish a race, if they want to like, cause running 250 miles, it's a hard, it's a hard task, especially when it's your first one. And like, there's just so many unknowns. So if like, I, like I remember my first 200 at Bigfoot, that was when I started, like I started a low carb approach a few months before that I had so many low points in that race that like I had to use rewarding myself with like junk food to get me to the finish. Like I was just like, okay, if I finish I can have a big old bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. Like don't judge me. I loved Kentucky fried chicken back in the day, <laughs> but like I had to like use that as a carrot to get myself to the finish. So like, you know, I get that that's what people look forward to after races and I no judgment on my end, but I do believe there is a cost with it. And, you know, you just got to weigh the cost benefit reward. And if you decide it's worth it, then have fun with it. But me personally, I'd rather recover faster and just get after it as soon as possible. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I think it's like a testament to nutrition because your sleep wasn't hasn't been well, like the or great the past week. Like since you finished, you well, obviously you didn't sleep much during the race. Then afterwards, you did all those things, and you drove home. And then you with your family. But then you've been eating like very well, and it's like your recovery is spot on. Like it's it's pretty incredible to see from like my outside perspective. Yeah, and it it feels great to see it from my inside perspective. Like. <laughs> you know, cause I haven't recovered this fast before. So I know like both sides of the field and, you know, this side is just so much better for me. Yeah. That's super cool. Is like my, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like, there's a group of people that I run with here in cash Valley and you know, it's great. Like, you know, I got back yesterday for the first time in three weeks 
and like the amount of snow here, like just seeing how much is gone. Like, I'm so happy. Like I left with snow in our yard and they came back and like snow is like melted up halfway up the mountain. And so like, this is the best time of year to run in Cache Valley. Like it's cooler weathers, but the trails are drying and you know, a bunch of my friends are going for like a 12 mile group run tonight. And I had to like, try really hard to just say, sorry guys, I'm not coming tonight. <laughs> like I, I feel that good. Like I'm basically having to force myself to sit for a few days. That's pretty wild. Like it, it's smart. You're making yourself do that to recover properly, but I'm sure it's a struggle to be like, I want to go run and you can't I know. You, you feel like perfect. <laughs> Especially when like I've had to deal with the sucky snow all winter. It's like my trails are finally open. Like when I was driving home on Sunday and just looking at the mountains, I'm like, Oh, that trail's open. That trail's open. That trail's open. Like, yes, finally. But I need to take a little bit of time off first. <laughs> yeah. Which I think most people, they just ran Cocodona. They'd be like, look at trails. Like, nah, like I, I'm not going to go up there. For, <laughs> I don't care if it's melted out now. Like I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh man, that's funny. So is there anything that you would change nutritionally as far as like, obviously adding electrolytes, like whatever, but like anything that you've done um, during that race, either pre, during, or post that you would change to kind of maximize um, your recovery and your, your race? No, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I feel like I had a great plan, but it was just forgetting those electrolytes just messed my stomach up so much that it just, I essentially just went into survival mode until I got to the finish line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know what, what else I would have done differently. Like, I feel like I had a pretty good plan set up. Yeah, it seems like it, like, obviously, like having like your plan A, but then also a plan B and like knowing what works for you. And it's like what we talked about a few episodes back, but like eating foods that you're familiar with sometimes is just the greatest thing ever versus like, I don't know, different things that might upset your stomach. And you can always default to like, say, milk or whatever. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Maybe like sometime I'd be curious to really try like making my own like homemade raw milk, like chocolate milk. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I don't know if it would just harden up or something, but like melting some dark chocolate or something like that, like not adding Hershey's or anything like that, but like adding some form of like healthy, whether it's like, you know, like lilies, they make like a cocoa powder that's sweetened with stevia. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure there's like a healthy ish. Like, you know, the whole good, better, best thing. I'm sure there's like a way to make your own chocolate milk out of raw milk. And, you know, that's just a little bit more sugar for you too. And a little bit of a different taste. Yeah. You could totally just like probably dump that in like one of those half gallons or even a gallon and just shake it up. And I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. It's just cocoa yeah. powder sweetener. Like that's essentially what chocolate milk is, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to try that sometime. Unless it's Nesquik. <laughs> yeah. No Hershey's, no Nesquik. <laughs> but no, yeah. I, oh, sorry. I was like, go ahead. I was just going to say, no, like, I don't know if I would have changed anything differently. Like, you know, obviously I would have taken salt with me. Like that's the only thing I would have done differently th throughout this race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just cause I'm curious, what salt um, do you normally use like, as far as like a supplement or a pill? I use ultra salt. Okay. Who, um, makes, who makes those? NSNG foods. Um, yeah. Do you know who Vinny, I never know how to say his last name, Vinny Tortelic. I don't think so. You need to follow him on Instagram. He's done two documentaries that are on Amazon, Amazon prime. Now, um, both of them are about like keto slash high fat diets and how they're not bad. It's really good. Interesting. Um, but yeah, he has a company called NSNG foods, which means no sugar, no gluten foods. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he makes ultra fat, which is like a nut butter that has coconut oil in it and some electrolytes. So I'll use that in my races. Um, 
Ultra Salt has about 320 milligrams of sodium per pill. And I like that because I usually aim for 300 milligrams every 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And I try to pair that with 500 milliliters of water. So it's just super easy math. Every time I finish a 500 milliliter soft flask of water, I just pop one of my salt pills um, because it has 300 milligrams um, where most salt pills has like a hundred to 150 from what I've seen. Yeah. Like the, the goo ones. Cause I grabbed a bunch of those two on top of Eldon and then uh-huh. I looked at the bottle. It's like 140, which is like, well, the math is hard to do in your head. Especially when you're tired, but the two, it's like, it's not even really much sodium. Like it's exactly a whole mouthful of them to get any substantial sodium. Yeah. That'd be like three every 30 minutes for me. Cause yeah, yeah, 280. Yeah. About three every 30 minutes for me, but yeah, I use ultra salt. Um, I like doing salt pills just because it's so much easier to track for me versus just like slowly sipping on some electrolyte water. And then, you know, sometimes you don't even finish a whole bottle. You get to an aid station and they add a little bit more to it for you. And you don't know how much they mixed up and you had a little bit in your bottle. So it's just like, oh crap, how much is actually in this bottle? So for me, I just try to do like water with salt pills. Yeah. That seems pretty straightforward. And like, I don't know if you like know your salt loss rate, like it's really easy to like figure out the math and whatever. But there's so many times where like, I'll, I'll dump a bottle. Cause it's like, say there's like a third of it left. I'm like, I don't know like how much is actually left in here. And then. It helps me keep the math like clean in my head. But yeah. I don't. Yeah. Cause your brain's fried. You don't want to like add to that by trying to do some math or something like that. Yeah. And like, that's just like for like a 50 K for me. So like a 250 miles, like from being awake for multiple days, it's very different than like a short little race, but yeah, um, but yeah let's, um, let's wrap it up. We've been going for a minute. I know it's early, but you got stuff to do, Probably need to sleep and work out or something. have a bunch of coaching calls today (laughs) that's back to the grind (laughs) back to the grind i'm gonna go for a hike right now for this next call get some get my legs moving (laughs) oh heck yeah get some of that morning light too yeah yeah Yeah, but um oh i will quickly add too i have started drinking apple cider vinegar every morning um just to like help lower my cortisol levels and i do think it's i mean obviously my sleep's been out of whack the past few days since cocodona but like leading into cocodona I started doing it every day and I do feel like my quality of sleep went up drastically. And, you know, there's a lot of data out there that shows that apple cider vinegar helps with sleep or no, it helps uh, lower cortisol. Um, and you know, if you have elevated cortisol that can affect your sleep, but yeah, that's, that's another thing that I started adding into my diet the week before into Cocodona was apple cider vinegar every morning. Interesting. Are you just taking a shot of it plain or are you mixing it with like sparkling water or something? I just mix it with water and then just guzzle it and, you know, take my supplements and stuff in the morning too. (laughs) Nice. Like, yeah, it helps with digestion as well too. So if you're kind of like all around fixing some things, it's a fermented food technically. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's I think... why I crap so much. <laughs> Your body's readjusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe. It's, it's only one yeah. way to find out. For sure. But, no, that's cool. It's it's tasty and it's good. It does help, and it's actually pretty cheap too. So I think it's something that most people should just be taking because like take a tablespoon or whatever of it, and like that bottle lasts forever and super. Oh good yeah, for, for sure. But. Yeah. And then just to let everybody know, you know, next week we're going to have a new a guest on the show. His name is Sean. Um, we'll talk a little bit about him and his introduction next week, but he's a beast. He's a cyclist. He does low carb, almost carnivore, but um, <clears throat> very cool, interesting dude. So we'll have him on next week. And um, we apologize for taking like a two week hiatus. That was basically my fault between heat training, like preparing for Cocodona, being at Cocodona. So, you know, I apologize, but we're back at it now. Yeah, speaking of that though, while you were um while you were out, I did a show about sugar addiction. 
Um, oh, I guess, my, nice. I guess my camera just turned off, but um, you can still hear me, right? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's a good show to check out. We we're just talking about sugar addiction and how we're all super loaded up on it and stuff. Um, oh, so nice. That's a good, I'll add it to the show notes, but definitely didn't want to like bother you with that while you were winning Cocodona. So. <laughs> Yeah, I saw one of the shorts on the YouTube channel after Cocodona, but I thought it was just like one of your side Juniper Lab podcasts, but um, I guess it was not. So yeah, it's, it's a good one. It was actually really fun to talk about it. So um, yeah, um, I guess you got to get going. So yeah, clean up and we'll get out of here. So okay, um, dude, that was fun to chat uh, about that. Yeah, it was. And as always, we appreciate you listening and we'll uh, see you all next week.